All righty. Good morning. Good to see you guys. So glad that you're here. Uh, for any of you that have been here over the last few weeks, you know that we're going, uh, we're starting a series through the, the books of First and Second Samuel. We're probably about 10 weeks in now, a couple of months in. We're on chapter uh, 10, the end of that. So we're going to start in verse 17. I'm trying to look for that little handle, make this a little lower. There we go. And then we'll go through half of chapter, half or so of chapter 11 through verse 15 today. So if you have your Bibles with you, you're more than welcome to open up to that. Um, yeah, this week I was thinking how often uh, I hear kind of horror stories from parents about their kids and what other kids say to them, making fun of them, uh, maybe their name. Uh, making fun of their name and, and rhyming. A lot of times it has to do with rhyming. Uh, and they, they come up with these weird names or mean names for their, for their friends sometimes. Or uh, maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a sibling. I don't know. As, a, as an adult, if you look back on your life, if you had any of those names. Does anybody follow in tracking me? Like, you know, yeah. Does anybody have one they want to share? What they were called. Just throw it out there. I'm looking over to where the hands were. <laughs> lizard. For what reason? Camille. I get it. Lizard. All right. I saw the hand in the back there. Do we have another one? Oh, no. She was waving her Bible at me. She was just waving. See, you can get into God's word. Anybody else? I mean, mine were silly, like Mark Bark. I mean, it, there wasn't really anything too bad. Uh, when we were talking this week about it, Kevin had a few that he shared with me. I'm not going to share them with you uh, because it's his name and it's his story. But if you wanted to hop on our Facebook page or on our website, watch the first few minutes of theirs, you could hear some of those. But sometimes they're just downright mean. I don't know if you had one of your children come home or somebody that you know come home and they're devastated by that name calling, right? Like it can, it can be hurtful. Even if the name in and of itself, like you look back on it, it's really not that big a deal. When kids are making fun of other kids, that can be really, really painful, uh, and, and mean. Um, then I started thinking this week about, Politics. Now, we don't talk about politics uh, at, at the Grace Works Church unless it comes up in God's Word. Uh, we know we are smart enough to know that we have people who sit on both sides of the aisle that attend because they love Jesus. Praise God for that. I would say both sides are guilty of talking badly about the other side unfairly. They'll, they'll take a, a statement or part of a policy and, and they'll highlight that and they'll just beat up on it and it causes so much division. And, and you wouldn't believe as a pastor how often I meet with people who uh, their lives are pained I wouldn't necessarily go as far to say that they're destroyed because of politics, but they're pained. There's, it's in the family. I can't believe my brother believes this. I can't believe my sister does that. It, it's somebody here in the church where maybe they've been friends. They strike up a conversation. It goes the wrong way. Uh, and, and, and they start talking about something that they disagree on. Uh, and again, I'm not advocating that there aren't things to take a stand for. But again, I think we're going to find those in God's word and we're going to preach about them and then we're going to go after them uh, as, as the word of God does. But politics can be so divisive and so hurtful. 
if somebody believes differently than you do. And, and it, it's, it's like, man, alive. You know, the people who hate on each other just want to keep on hating. So I thought about those two things. It was like kids. It was like politics. And I thought, man, those still miss a lot of us. A lot of us that are sitting in here. I, I think if the older kids had been in here, maybe some of them that are living through it, if they had been brave enough, they could have raised their hand and given some more current ones like, you know, Lizard and Camille, like they would have been like, hey, this is what people call me. So I appreciate you being willing to do that. Um, but people saying, you know, these kids would have shared it. But how about us here as, as, as adults or mostly adults? And, and naturally my mind went to social media that graveyard of social media. Now, I use social media. Uh, Gwen and I started out doing it because we have family across the country. So it was nice to be able to post a picture, what's going on for the day, grandma and grandpa like it. And, you know, so it was seen. And then you start accumulating friends, right? People come up to you like, hey, I want to follow you, or they just you know, they request you. And, and of course, we want to see what you guys are doing. So we're like, sure, that'd be great. Uh, and, and, and so the friend list builds. And then the political cycle brings you around or uh, something that's going on in society. And all of a sudden you see how your friends who you love, who you uh, spend time with, are again on different sides of the spectrum. And, and social media has given us a place where we can hate on people and, and we don't even have to look them in the eyes. I don't even have to get in the person's face to tell them what I think about them. I can do it on social media. And, and that really pains me. And again, over the last few years, I've seen just an increase in people who have taken it so personal because it is a personal attack, even though you're not right in front of that person. Um, they, they've taken it so personal that it is, it is doing damage to their life. It is hurting them. And I've had to encourage many people, you need to get off social media, right? And they're just like, some of them are so addicted, they can't. Uh, and others have given it up, maybe just even for a season, and have seen health restored. Um, but I think what we see there is just this idea that haters are going to hate, uh, people that have negativity in their lives or strong feelings are going to come out hard and they're not going to ask their, themselves, is this necessary? Is this kind? Should I be saying this? Um, because again, when I look through scripture, I know that there are times to speak out about certain things. I just don't think that social media is a place for it myself. Uh, and if we disagree, that's okay, I think. Um, the other thing is, I think we can speak out about certain things, for or against, and we can do it in love and kindness. And you don't see a lot of that on Facebook either, because it's just out there in, in, in you know, social media lands. It's not like we're having a conversation one-on-one. -on -one. And, and so today, as we're looking at Saul, the first king of Israel, we're going to get to learn something from him that's actually pretty good. Saul gets a, a, a rep for being kind of a bad first king, and he wasn't great, but he did do some good things. And like I said at the beginning of this study, we're going to go through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and we're going to learn some positive ways to, to, to lead and to, to move forward in our lives. And then we're going to learn things from mistakes that these kings and leaders make. And that's why we, we called this, uh, 
this lesson here, or this, I should say, book study, Lessons from Leaders, is because we're going to be able to learn from both sides, the things they do well and the things that they fail at. And so today we're going to see haters are going to hate, but leaders are going to lead. And are you a leader? Are you somebody that can move forward in God's truth and make a difference? Uh, or, or do you actually fall sometimes on that other side and go, yeah, you know what? We're not even into the sermon yet and I'm feeling a little bit of conviction. And, and if that, if that's the case, praise God. I'm glad that Holy Spirit's moving in your heart right now even. I know even this week for myself, I had to ask some questions like, am I, am I using the, the social media platform that God has given me, uh, in a way that honors God? Uh, even in the way that I post about my family, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I don't want you to be discouraged if you're like, man, that's kind of hitting home, but I want you to say, Hey, okay, God, I'm hearing you right now. Help me to hear through the rest of this sermon this morning. And then as we move forward, uh, and continue to learn these lessons from leaders, help me to apply it to my life. And so we're going to see that haters are going to hate, but leaders are going to lead starting out in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 17, uh, and then we're going to move forward, like I said, uh, into chapter 11. So I'm going to read out loud, and then we'll see what God has in store for us this morning. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Samuel doesn't pull punches. We know that. Samuel's getting older, but even in his old age... Even in his old age, he is a man of conviction. He's going to tell the people like it is. He didn't get soft in his old age. And we've seen that over the last few weeks. God was supposed to be the king over Israel. We saw that. Uh, we've alluded to it back in Deuteronomy. We've, we've talked about that, that God literally sets himself up as the king over Israel. The other nations have kings, but I will be your king. I will go before you. I will be behind you. All the things that kings were known for, God said, I will do for you. So this was unique. Israel had a unique relationship with God. Now, as Israel grew as a country, as they saw failures from Eli and his sons, and even though they had experienced a long tenure under, uh, under Samuel of good times, they kept saying, give us a king like all the other nations have. Instead of looking to God for what was best, they looked around them and said, I like that. That looks fun. That looks like a good thing. That's what I want. And Samuel kept saying, no, you don't want that. You don't want that. God's your king. And they kept saying, give us a king. So God said, okay, I'll give you what you want, but it's not going to be what you expected. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. If you've been with us, if you haven't, I would encourage you to go back a few chapters and look. God says, you want a king? If I give you a king, this is what's going to happen. 
Your sons are going to become his slaves because they're going to be in the army or they're going to work for the palace, right? You're going to lose a tenth of all your stuff. Now, this was in addition to what they already gave to the Lord through the church or through uh, the priests. They were going to give another 10% to the king to take care of all the servants and slaves that they had uh, working for the king. Your daughters were going to become bakers uh, and perfumers. And, and we talked about all those different things. This was going to be costly. And Samuel says, please don't do this. God loves you and he will lead you. He will be there for you. You do not need what the rest of the world has. And the people kept asking. God says, you know what? Okay. I'm going to give you what you want, but you know what's expected. God was gracious and guided this process. Last week, we saw the process of choosing choosing Saul, the son of Gish, right? As the future king of Israel. Samuel's kind of leadership role was ending, right? And and Saul was going to take over. And, And we talked about how God equips the called, so Saul had no clue what it was like to be a king, but that, that if he followed God, God would equip him. He would take care of the, the teaching process. And we saw that God actually poured out the Holy Spirit on him. That's the way the author of, of Samuel writes it. He pours it out on him so that he could prophesy. And, and that was highlighted. Uh, and God showed a lot of grace when Israel was actually in rebellion. Isn't that amazing? Like if you're following this story, you've got a whole country, a whole nation saying, we don't want you anymore in that role. We want something different. And God's like, you really don't stick with me. And they're like, no, 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 no. We want it. And he's like, well, this is what it's going to cost you. And they didn't even pause, but we still want that. And what does God do? He lavishes grace upon his rebellious people, right? We see that there. And you know what? I had to pause this week and say, thank you, God, for lavishing grace upon this rebellious soul. When I don't deserve it, when I'm rebellious and I'm living in sin or I'm making unwise choices or I know what God has called me to do and I just don't do it. So sins of omission, right? I know what I should do, but I'm not going to do it. He still extends grace upon grace. I hope you've experienced that. Not because I want you living in rebellion or in sin, right? Or not living the way that God has called you to, but that should propel you to be the man or woman that God has called you to be because you see his grace poured out on you. So I hope that's you this morning. God knows Samuel knows, and even Saul knows, he is going to be king. Is he ready for it? No. But God says, even in your rebellion, I'm going to help you. And now it's time to declare this to the people. That's what we're seeing here at this beginning. That's where we're getting to. So God, through Samuel, tells the people, you can have the king. Okay? You know what it's going to cost you. You can have the king. This is how it's going to happen. Present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So again, this is almost like a numbering and, and kind of you get out there and make sure everybody in the entire nation knows what's going on. We have the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and, the, and so Samuel is bringing 
the people together for this occasion. Verse 20, then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clan, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And then Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot, but when they sought him, he couldn't be found. Now let's stop for a second there just so we're all clear, this idea of casting lots. How many of you have heard of casting lots uh, in the scriptures? I see a few hands going up, that's okay. Old Testament... Lots are cast or are talked about over 70 times. So if you don't know about much about it, that would be the place I would kind of hone in on if this piques your interest at all. Um, but this idea of casting lots. In the New Testament, there's only seven times that it's talked about. And, and this deciding by casting lots, we don't really know much about. Through biblical description, through extra biblical writings where they talk about lots being cast, there's not a lot to learn. So I can't come out and speak with like confidence like I'm an expert on lots and how they're supposed to be cast and what it exactly was. But we know that this happened, right? It's in the vein of rolling dice, okay? And and again, I can't tell you how many sides it was. You know, is this a 20-sided D&D dice, or is it a six-sided Monopoly dice? I don't know, right? It's just, it's that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's kind of like flipping a coin or, or playing rock, paper, scissors, right? It was to help them make decisions, and yet we see God use this. Now, isn't that weird? God's speaking to prophets. He's speaking to his people at different times, and he still has them use this sort of system for picking somebody. I wish I knew more about it. I just don't, right? This game of chance that a lot of times we'd be like, wow, that just doesn't seem like God would want us to do that with some of these big decisions. We know that God was in control of. That's all I can say. That's really all I can encourage you about this, that God actually used the process to make his will known to people. So why sometimes he chose to speak to somebody and other times through a sign, I don't know. But this was something that was done in the Old Testament. Like I said, the Old Testament scriptures talk about it over 70 times where God is the one who tells them to cast lots to, for a decision to be made. Okay, so it seems though that through this practice uh, was once used heavily by God's people, it was eliminated after the Holy Spirit came to be uh, in, in dwelling inside the believers in the New Testament. We don't see it anymore at that point, okay? And so that's why we don't keep doing it today. What We have Holy Spirit inside of us. He leads us. He guides us. Um, and, and, and so we have the full counsel of the Scripture If you want to know how to live or what you should do in regards to anything that you come up against in life, the answer is in here. All right? So it takes some work. You got to read it. You got to study it. You got to have people in your lives that read it and study it that you can trust. So then you can go to them and say, hey, this is what I'm trying to decide. And hopefully the first thing they say is, have you prayed about it? And what does God's word say about it? Right? So praise God for his word. Praise God for Holy Spirit who's living inside of us. Now, that's the way we use it. But here we see God, through lots, chooses the tribe of Benjamin, 
right? So one of 12. Then he chooses the clan of the Matrites, and then he chooses Saul himself. So we know Samuel used the system that God had given him. That's what you need to hear. And the system that God has given us is prayer, his scriptures, Holy Spirit living inside of us, and wise counsel of those who are doing the same. Samuel used what he has. You and I need to use what we have. But apparently, even when you're using God's system here, it says that Saul could not be found, right? Go and get Saul. And Samuel's like, um... I'm afraid we've lost the king, right? And that's where we, that's where we pause there. Let's keep going so we can read what happens next. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? In other words, did we read this wrong? Is there somebody else? Is it not Saul? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage, Kind of bizarre, huh? Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Right? So the the first part of this verses here is somewhat comical to me. Right? It's a crazy scene. Kevin and I talked about a few different, uh, things that, you know, maybe happened in our lives or back when we were kids that we tried to equate this to. Cause it's so funny. It's like, okay, where's Bob, right? Bob, we're picking sides and I want Bob on my team. And you don't see Bob, but you want to pick him. But Bob really wants to be on the other team, so he's hiding. Maybe he's hiding behind the big toy or he's hiding behind some other friends or whatever. So he wants to be on, I mean, it's just, we, we couldn't figure out anything exactly. But Saul goes and hides among baggage. I don't know what that means. It's kind of crazy. He was chosen by lots, the, the system that God put into place, and then all of a sudden he's nowhere to be found. So they ask God, are we wrong? Did we get the wrong guy? Is it not Saul? And, and God says, no, you didn't get this wrong. He says, go, go look, right? He, he tells the hiding spot, right? He says, go look amongst the baggage, And so they go and they find him and they took him. And and, I mean, really, what is going on here? The author doesn't tell us a whole lot. So we don't know why Saul hid. We don't know his feelings or his motivations. Uh, If he was just nervous, obviously it's the first king. They'd never had a king before. What was going on here? We don't know. It kind of seems like Saul was just hoping that if he wasn't there, maybe they would choose somebody else. Right? I mean, that's kind of what it seemed like to me. I don't know that for sure. It doesn't make sense. But God always gets his man, right? Or his woman. But I mean, he, he's already made a decision, right? So when he's not there, he says, hey, go look over there among the baggage. You'll find him, right? If you know the whole story of Saul, it's, it's kind of hard not to think of him as anything other than a screw up. Right? Israel's first king wasn't exactly what they were hoping for. Uh, it kind of highlighted why God said, you don't need to do this. Uh, and so this fits right in. But, like I encouraged you at the beginning of the book, we're going to be able to see positives and negatives from so many people throughout this study. And so I want you to keep your, your eyes open and your ears open and your heart open to what we can learn positive from Saul. But what I had to remember this week was he is just a man. 
Some of the most godly men and women that I know go through rough spots, right? We're all human. We have feelings. We have thoughts, right? I'm a human. You're a human. We're going to make some uh, bad choices, some bad decisions. We're not going to trust what God has already promised us. Right? He's made a promise to us and we know it, but we don't always live like we believe it. He's un, maybe he's unsure of himself. There are times when he chose to do God's will and we need to see those things. There are other times when he didn't. And if you think about your own life, what we've been called to do as believers, and if we're honest with ourselves, there are times that we do not live like God has called us to live. Right? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we know how to live and we don't. And so Paul, uh, Saul here is human. He's very human. He, he makes a lot of mistakes, right? And here we see that he was probably a little bit reluctant to take on this huge, very important role. There was so much that he didn't know about. I don't even know what this means, right? Can you relate? Have you ever been called by God to do something And you don't know how it's going to end, so you're reluctant. Now, maybe you didn't go hide amongst the baggage, but maybe you didn't move forward like you knew you had been called to, right? And I know it's true for some of you. It's, It's things that we've shared with each other. God has called us to do certain things, live certain ways, and yet sometimes we don't. We get up in the morning, we know what we need to do, and we don't do it. When I was called uh, uh, to TGW, when the Grace Works called me as a pastor, uh, that mor- I still remember the morning I met with Kevin. Uh, we were down at what uh, was Norma's breakfast place. Now it's Medicine Creek. We had met together for breakfast, and, and he says, hey, we want to open up a second campus in DuPont. We want you to be the pastor. And I'm like, man, I'm, you know, 20 years into my career at Costco. I'm already seeing, you know, management treats me well here. Uh, being in management, I see kind of my future, right? I did through my own eyes. I see retirement. I see what they promised me and what could happen. All those things are things that I felt secure in, right? I was 20 years removed from Bible college, No, I'm comfortable in what God has called me to do. I had an opportunity as a manager at Costco to share my faith with men and women who became my friends through work. And I was like, this is where God wants me. And you know what? He did want me there for that season, right? But the first thing that popped in my mind when Kevin's talking about this is like, I haven't been in Bible college for 20 years. I almost felt like I was a little rusty. What's this going to look like, right? I had these goals, these achievements, these dates that I had attached to certain things based on the security of working for a company that, you know, had been predictable for me for 20 years. Was I unsure of myself? Yeah, a little bit. 11 years ago when I got that call, when when Kevin asked me, was I intimidated by the task? Uh, Yeah, a little bit. A lot of unanswered questions. What's it going to look like? How's it going to work? I didn't know. But God in his grace never gave up on me. God in his grace put a, a, a woman of God in my life who had already n- just had this feeling from the Holy Spirit that something like this was going to happen. So when I went home to drop the bomb and expect her to be on my side, like, whoa, a lot of questions to be answered. She's like, no, Holy Spirit already told me. I said, but Gwen, there's so many things we don't know. And she says, you know, God's never let us down, right? We can move forward in this. 
incredible. God's grace. It didn't give up on me when I was maybe wondering, am I up for this task? And now I know if there's anything in my life that I do that's worthwhile for him, for the kingdom, I need to give him all the glory. If anybody has anything positive to say about the ministry or the church that I'm involved in, you guys here, I want to give glory to God and talk about you as a people and what God is doing in in and through us as a church, not just me. If if people come to me and say, hey, your kid did this, or we saw them do this, or, or we've experienced this through one of your children, I want to give honor and glory to God that they, that although I messed up a ton as a dad, I gave my children to the Lord and I prayed for them a ton that God would do mighty things through them, that they would be better men and women of God than I. That that was my prayer for my kids. I want to give all glory to God. And in our story here, our unwilling king cannot avoid being crowned. He may have been unsure of himself. He may have been afraid. He may have not wanted that responsibility. But God gets his man. And we see here his impressive height and stature. Can't hide amongst the bags when you're that tall. I love when Dave comes up here and stands head and shoulders above me. I mean, the the dude was huge. Saul was huge. He's standing up there. There's no one in Israel like him. Right? It's what any person in the nation should have wanted for a king other than God. Right? They should have wanted God. But he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and the duties of the kingship. And he wrote them in a book. He's got all of Israel together. Right? We've talked about some of this stuff already. But there's a lot of things that that God has said about a king. Again, not endorsing the king, we said, but he knew that it was inevitable. God is God, right? And so he said, if if a king comes around, these are the things you're going to need to know. Well, Samuel makes sure that they know, right, the rights and the duties of kingship. And he wrote them in a book, and he laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent away all the people, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah. And with him went men of valor, whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he held his peace. Now, as we were talking about that, we we thought about the Deuteronomy passage that I just put up there, verses 18 through 20 of chapter 17. Let me read it really quick. This is back in, in Deuteronomy. This is a while ago. This is what was written by Moses. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his lives, and he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. And, his, uh, and that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left. So he may continue long in his kingdom and he, he and his uh, children in Israel. So we're looking here. This is what, what tw- verse 25 is relating back to. 
what, what was written by Moses in Deuteronomy. So when it says, then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote in, uh, in them in a book and laid it out before the Lord. This is the fulfillment of this command in Deuteronomy. Again, we see this beautiful one story from Genesis 1 through the end of the book of Revelation, which is what's happening in the future. This is God's plan. This is God's story, right? And we are part of it. You and I sitting here, we are all part of it. And so even in the rebellion, even in the sin, God was in control. It's beautiful. Now, after the installation of Saul as king, Samuel sends everyone home, right? There's no capital of Israel as of yet uh, for the king of Israel, uh, because really the true king of Israel resides in heaven. And there didn't need to be a capital city. We had the 12 tribes, we had cities, but everybody went through the priests to God, and God was their ruler. But Gibeah apparently kind of becomes the capital city, at least for now is what it appears. Uh, and as Saul returns to his home at Gibeah, some men of valor follow him, committing to their service to their new king. Right? So that's got to be encouraging for the king. Right? Saul's not really sure that he wants this even. He's a little bit nervous. And, and you know what? Some guys step up. And they're like, yeah, I'll serve you. I'm in. And, and God provided those people. It says here that God touched their hearts. God touched their hearts. And really, in some ways, this is no different than I believe what God does to us, you and I. When we feel called to support uh, maybe a ministry, whether inside the church or outside of it, God is touching your heart and, and, and moving you towards that particular ministry or church, right? And, and those are the kind of people that we are praying that God brings, not only to the Grace Works, but to all the churches in DuPont and in Pierce and Thurston counties, People who God has called to do ministry. And here we see God touch some hearts and some men followed. But on the other hand, right? Leaders, good leaders, they're going to lead. They're going to have people following them. But we talked about it at the beginning. Haters are going to hate, right? And here we see some of the haters that were in Israel. There were some that weren't as excited about this. And you know what? In some ways... They shouldn't have been excited about a, a human king, but this isn't the way they should have done it. These naysayers, these worthless fellows, right? That's the way of the world. Even if you are on the right side, sometimes in the way that you respond, the demeanor that you put out, the harsh words that you say, even if it's backed by truth, are so damaging, Right? And here we see God saying, no, 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 keep me in this place. And Israel saying, no, 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 I want it. And, and, and so God finally says, okay, here's your man. These people who were probably looking at the right side. No, we got God. He's enough. Right? At this point now, God has said, this is your king. And they just keep hating here. Negative people raining down their negativity on people. Right? And, and, and how's Saul going to respond to this? Right, we got people here calling him out first day on the job, right? Who's this guy? He's not my king. You know, that kind of an attitude. Hateful things. But but Saul responds in restraint, 
We see that there in that last verse. He, he keeps the peace, right? He doesn't fight them. Humility? Maybe. He's new to this job. He hid in the bags. Was he just a coward? I wouldn't think so, but maybe. We don't know. Those are speculations that we can have. But what we do know is what God's word tells us, and it says that he held his peace. I've I've heard a lot of great leaders uh, say it this way. Don't believe your own press clippings, good or bad. In other words, what people say about you, sometimes they make you sound really, really good. And you probably shouldn't believe that you're that good. And when the naysayers come and they talk about how bad you are, you probably don't need to believe that either. Doesn't mean you don't need to check out and say, Holy Spirit, what they're pointing out, is that an area that I'm lacking that I need to grow in? But don't believe the press clippings, right? And Saul allows the men of valor to follow him home, to give him some worth, that like God has moved these people, right? Some of you are here because God's told you, you need to be at the Grace Works Church. And you've come and shared that with myself or with Gwen or with Pastor Dave. That is a celebration because you've heard from God. You know this is the place you're supposed to be. And you're the kind of people that are going to step up and serve the kingdom through what we have going on here in Chloe Clark Elementary, in their multi-purpose room with their blue rubber floor, right? I mean, this is our church, and we're going to do the best we can. We're going to move forward in kingdom opportunity because that's what God has called us to, to do. So he, he knows these men of valor are with him. We are with you, Saul. And, and, and he's going to be tempted, but it doesn't appear that he does, He's going to be tempted to allow these worthless fellows to destroy his self-worth. If he listens to him, if he responds, all of a sudden where God has brought him, even through the rebellion and sin of demanding a king, where God has brought him with godly people following him, he just doesn't respond to the worthless fellows. Man's praise is not enough to make you important. And man's criticism should not be enough to destroy your importance. Each one of you is important. You are part of God's story. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a job to do. And we need to know man's praise isn't enough to make you important. And man's criticism should not be enough to destroy your importance. Let's continue moving on here. It moves pretty quick. Uh, Chapter 11 here. Then Nahash the Amorite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. We got a little bit of a change here in the story. All the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a treaty with us and we'll serve you. Uh, But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, on this condition, I may make a treaty with you. If you gouge your right eye out, and thus bring disgrace to all Israel. So this is kind of a crazy story here. Saul has just been kind of elevated as king, right? He's gone home. We don't even really know what's going on there. We'll see in a minute. But it gets a little bit wild. Nahash the bad guy, the Amorite, besieges the city, right? It's completely surrounded. Okay, this is a, this is a good old besiegement. Right? This guy's got him surrounded. This is not good for, for Jabesh Gilead. So they respond by trying to treaty up. They know that they're not in a good position. 
If this goes to war, we're going to be in trouble, right? This could be death for all of them. So Nahash listens to the men of the city and devises a plan to not only effectively defeat the city, right? He could go in and just kill them all. But he says, man, if we gouge out all their right eyes, that'll bring disgrace upon all of Israel, right? You're going to have this town full of, this city full of all these men with only one eye. I mean, when are they ever going to be able to, uh, uh, you know, do anything of any importance? They're not going to mount a rebellion against me. I'm going to be able to take this city, right? And they'll become servants to this madman, servants with no hope of ever being able to sort out and, and, and be any sort of threat or successful rebellion on their own. So you got this choice. You can live Lose your right eye and serve me, or you could die. So these aren't great choices for sure. But let's continue on in this story. The elders of Jabesh said to him, give us seven days uh, respite that we might send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then if no one comes to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter and into the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. So I don't really get this, right? If I've besieged a city and I'm a madman, why would I allow them to send out messengers looking for help, right? I don't know, but that's what it says here. So we know what's going on here. They ask for seven days and supposedly Nahesh allows that, right? If, if we don't get any help in those seven days, we'll wave the white flag and come out. So he says, all right, because the messengers go out. He doesn't attack them. The people's response when they get to Gibeah, where Saul lived, weeping, loud weeping. No matter where you live in Israel, you don't want to hear news like this. That part of Israel is besieged that potentially their eyes are going to be gouged out. I mean, it's crazy, right? Again, we see this common response of the people of Gibeah, right? This is a common response of people, though, in general. Not just Israel, but all people. There's fear. No reliance on God. Not an immediate call to prayer. Just fear. Can we as followers of God become people who respond properly in prayer? I want to be a person that responds properly to circumstances in my life through prayer. I want to be marked by faith, trust, assurance, and prayer. Let's continue on though in the story here. Because I think there's some stuff here for us to learn. Now behold, Saul was coming in from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, what is wrong with the people? That they are weeping. So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words. And his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and he cut them into pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messenger, saying, Whoever doesn't come out after Saul and Samuel, probably smart, right? Put Samuel, who was loved in there. He, he, he connects with him. Whoever doesn't come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Again, kind of a crazy little uh, story that we're seeing here. Saul uh, comes back from the fields. He hears what's going on. There's weeping. The messengers tell him the news. Saul takes his oxen. He cuts them up. He sends them out right? The spirit of God rushes upon him. So we're trusting that this is what God has called him to do, right? He's got this anger, this righteous anger. Nobody can come and do this to God's people. 
Saul took action. He knew he needed a great army, right? He needed it. And, 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 and this request that he was going to send out could not be misunderstood as an ask, right? They needed to know, we're calling for all men to get here now, okay? This is a command. So he cuts up those oxen. He sends them out. Working beasts, right? These oxen made into a meal at best. If you don't, if you don't step up, this is what's happening to your oxen. Okay, so Saul's desperation and determination come through loud and clear. Nobody misunderstands what's being asked of them by their new king. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people. I love that part of the verse. And they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the the, uh, people of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. And, and they said to the messengers who had come, you sh- thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. So the people respond, right? Uh, by the time the messengers finished, Saul had an army fit for a king, 330,000 men, Right? And look what it said. The dread of the Lord fell upon the people. They knew that Saul was called by God. This wasn't just a man asking for help. This was a man anointed by God. And and so Saul sends this not-so-cryptic message to the besieged Jabesh Gilead. Salvation is on its way. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you. Talking to Nahash, right? And you can do to us whatever seems good to you. And then the next day, Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning, watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. The, uh, the army that gathered did what they were called to do by Saul. They went and went and fought and won the victory. God not only provided the defeat of the Ammonites, but also this military victory to seal Saul as their king in a lot of the people's minds. The destruction was so, destruction was so severe, not two Ammonites were left together. Can you imagine that? Looking around, no other, no other of your buddies, no other soldiers around you, right? They destroyed everybody. God's mighty hand and Saul's leadership was on display. The last couple of verses we're going to look at. Then the people said to Samuel, who is, who is that that said, Saul shall reign over us? Remember the naysayers? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, here we go, guys. This is what we're looking for. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. Even though they were naysayers, even though they were saying Saul shouldn't be our king, even though God had called him. Saul said, no, we're not going to kill them today. For the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let's go to Gilgal. And there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. 
There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So this is the beginning of Saul's reign, right? It started off with this decisive victory, one, one that could have ended in a disastrous way had he not responded to the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And look what some of the people say here, right? Who is that that said that Saul shouldn't be our king? Let's bring him here. Let's put him to death, right? Saul's our man. This was huge. And, and again, Saul could have gotten caught up in his own press clippings, right? Yeah, I am the man. Who, who spoke out against me? Who are you, right? Let's go get him. But he didn't. He didn't. Saul went ahead with the spirit of God upon him. And and he used self-control. And and he used wisdom. God-fearing statement was made by the king for all people to see. About these naysayers. God has worked his salvation for the time. In Saul's life through maturity. And he understood where the victory came from. He wanted to give credit to God. So going back to what we talked about a few uh, verses ago, the idea of anything good that happens in our life, where do we give the glory? Where do we give the honor? Are we living as people of God who look for the good? And when we accomplish good things, we give glory to God? Are we those sorts of people? And that's what we see here, uh, Saul, living out. So this truly begs the question, even in our own lives, where does our salvation come from? Not only uh, in, in terms of our uppercase salvation, the salvation we get through believing in Jesus Christ as our Savior, but also through the lowercase S's, right? The salvation that we see in our life through our day-to-day things. When we have things that are smaller that come up and we see God work them for his good. When, when we are, maybe have illness or sickness that comes upon us. And even if God refines us through that and it takes a while, do we give honor and glory to God for what he is doing in our lives? The battles that we have daily, the struggles that we have daily, do we see those as opportunities to see God's grace upon our lives? Do we give proper acknowledgement to the one who fights for us, the one who empowers us, the one who wins our battles? And that's what we see here. Saul says, this is of God. He shows maturity in that. And that same loving God is the one who sent Jesus to save us. God cares for us and is concerned about our every battle. No matter how big or small it might be, no matter what the struggle it is, no matter what the trial is you might be going through, God cares for you. We may not always win as quickly as we want. The the battles may be painful and, and costly, but our victory is sure in him. Secure because of the one who saves us. Haters are going to hate. But we have an opportunity, no matter what position we have in our lives, no matter where we're, our, our status is, maybe at work, we can still lead. We can be the leaders that God has called us to be in, in our workplace, in our families, in our communities, because of who we are 
in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. 